Do you like comics? We're here to talk comics. This is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. Thanksgiving Day Parade. And it ironically <laughs> deflated. Or actually, not ironically. <laughs> I think appropriately so. Eh. I think that's a thing that happens every once in a while. I did not hear about that part. Yeah, his hat caught on some trees and his hat deflated a little bit. Oh, not his straw hat. Mm-hmm. Not his treasure. You don't touch his treasure. Yeah. What if the One Piece is just like a nicer straw hat? I, I, I think that the One Piece is the friends we made along the way. Yeah, I hate it, but the, gosh, it, it feels inevitable Here's that that line's going to come Here's up. Here's the thing. <laughs> it is, though. Yeah. Like, again, I just got to the point in in Annie's lobby, which, John, stand by what we said earlier. Don't feel obligated. But Nico Robin is, like, crying because she knows that anybody who is friends with her eventually is going to have the weight of the world government come down and and like try to destroy them because she's so dangerous. And so Luffy orders Usopp to shoot the world government flag and light it on fire. It's like this this beautiful moment of I will take on the world. I will burn the world down for the sake of my friends. And yeah, the real one piece is friendship. I'm yeah. sorry, it just is. And once again, Luffy is a terrorist. Oh, yeah, Luffy's a terrorist. See, all I heard was blah, 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 made-up name, Care Bears, blah, blah, blah. This is a <laughs> fandom you have nothing to do with, John. That's all I heard. You, you, you can talk all you want about One Piece and any other manga and anime and, and live-action adaptations, and, and it's, just, it's just white noise right now. It's just, just I, static. I think you should give the live-action a shot. I know everyone likes it. <laughs> I, but the, yeah. I, I would yeah. say that mostly because also, okay. And I know we, we're here to talk about different comics and we'll get back to those comics real fast. The reason I started reading one piece is because a bunch of videos came up on my feed that were about the world building. It was like some dude just explaining stuff about the world. He was talking about like, was the it way I patch wolf. Nope. Cause he had a couple of videos. Okay. Nope. I think it might have been. Oh, who was? I think it's a guy on TikTok named Saiga Runner. Uh, but he would just kind of break down just small aspects, right? Because it's TikTok, so you have like three minutes at the most. Um, <laughs> so he would explain like this is how the oceans work, and this is how the government works, and this is how like pirate alliances work, and this is how the Grand Bell or the Grand Line works. Like he would just explain different aspects of that, and then also would explain some retcons and. How some stuff that happens at the beginning is technically like a form of hockey, and hockey's a thing that we don't find out about for like six hundred chapters. And yeah, so, I still like, don't know what hockey is? Yeah, uh, it's a sport very beloved by the Canadians. <laughs> I knew that. Ew. But I walked into is it. that not what it is? That not what it is? No, it's it's just like cheap. I assure it's, you. I assure you that it is. It's on the ice. <laughs> they have a puck. Uh, yeah, hockey is just. One Piece's version of like chi energy, like you know, like other shows have like spiritual power and pressure, or Dragon Ball Z has colors. So I'm just getting static on my end. I don't know about you, Steven. I'm just hearing. 
You need to drink the ichor of the void fish. So point is, I got enough of those videos where like the world building was thrown at me kind of wholesale. And it's really cool to see it kind of built up. I'm not saying you should do it so that you can get hooked on and start reading it. But I'm saying is the world of One Piece is pretty interesting and surprisingly well thought out at points. It really is. Yeah, it's, I got into One Piece uh, several years ago because I read a couple of articles that talked about how the Arlong Park saga was one of the best comics ever written. And so I read enough of One Piece to read Arlong Park, and I'm like, yeah, this is probably better than many Batman comics. And yeah. to this day, it is. <laughs> that's, that's the thing about One Piece. Is One Piece is like 90% just completely ridiculous garbage, and then 10% sublime. Perfect. 10 out of 10, no notes, best, best thing you've ever read. And it's like, I was, my wife and I, you know, we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching. And and so it's like, okay, how do I explain to my wife the, the significant emotional impact of this fight between a dude made of rubber and a dude who is a coward. And so he shoots people from a distance with stink bombs and ketchup packets. Yeah. It's really weird to explain. To explain to somebody why I'm crying over a reindeer boy. It really makes no sense. And it's beautiful and lovely and darn near perfect, except when it's not. Boy, um, I don't know. Okay, so this has weirdly kind of been on my mind a lot recently. And this is maybe something we can use to segue to actually talk about the comics <laughs> that we're going to talk about. Um, you know, Magic the Gathering has... Uh, uh, team up that they're going to be doing with Marvel Comics and their press release for it is ridiculous they talk about allowing fandoms to show their their joy from this intellectual property and it just blows my mind that we talk about things in this way it's like how can you show that you are a fan of this thing that somebody else owns this intellectual property but for me it's like I'm not a fan of Marvel Comics I like some Marvel stories. I like some Marvel characters in some stories. It's it's the stories, it's these narratives that I think are really gripping to me. And in some cases, like really change my life. Uh, and in some cases, they make me very angry. I don't know which set of stories we're, get, we're getting today, but let's find out. This is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. Ayo! Yeah, part of me wants to get a Spider-Man tattoo, but I'm like, am I just a corporate shield at that point? And it's like, I have a Ghibli tattoo, it's fine. <laughs> I'm not a tattoo guy. If I were, I have actually given this a lot of thought recently. If I were to ever get a tattoo, it would be some abstract symbol that had some personal meaning to me and or my family. It would not be a, any foreign language characters. It would not be any, like, anything that could be viewed as, like, appropriating tribal culture or anything like that. And it would absolutely not be any brand, any character, any, like, no Hellboy, no Luffy, none of that. It would be, like, a, a, a circle or something. <laughs> okay, Dr. Manhattan. I find, yeah, okay, fine. Um, <laughs> I think it'd be funny to get a tattoo on my wrist that is, like, the web shooters. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to get Calvin peeing on the Ford logo. I don't know what you're all too good for your boots there, Steven. But, you know, funny is funny. It's like the trashiest, stupidest it thing. It's so dumb. 
I, it makes me mad that, like, that's the most prominent, like, because Bill Watterson didn't want any of his, you know, stuff made into toys or merch or whatever, and I respect him for that. But, man, it'd be cool to have, like, you know, Calvin something. And mostly what you see is Calvin peeing on a logo of something else. <laughs> Again, one of the most, like, sublime stories ever, like, ever told in comics. That might be overselling it a bit. Calvin and Hobbes is so good, though, and it's so meaningful and so like philosophical. Is it? Is it the Paddington of comics? No, it's the Calvin and Hobbes of comics. Okay. <laughs> oh, hold on. I want to give that like some real thought. I'm gonna have to do that on my own time because okay. we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Hulk Smash or After Smash, I guess. Uh, yeah, we read World War Hulk and the. After Smash Warbound series, and we're here to talk about them. Uh, I think the the logical place to start is World War Hulk. Yes, I believe that's me. Although I believe so too. Was definitely one hundred percent prepared for this. It's me. Hi, I'm the Aldo. It's me. <laughs> so we read World War Hulk, which was released in two thousand seven, written by Greg Pak. Pencils by John Romita Jr., inks by Klaus Johnson, colors by Christina Strain, and letters by Chris Eliopoulos, a common and often reoccurring name on this podcast. And so this is a follow-up to... I hate that I just forgot the name of it. Um, Planet Hulk. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And this is a follow-up to Planet Hulk. So this kind of follows up... After Hulk has been sent to another planet, became a gladiator, then became a, you know, kind of revolutionary and warrior king and found some semblance of peace, found a wife, and then everything got blown up. And so he has returned to Earth to seek revenge on the people who've blown everything that he loved and accomplished. Uh, And specifically, it comes down to four members of the Marvel Illuminati. He is seeking revenge on Black Bolt, Doctor Strange, Iron Man, and Mr. Fantastic. And so this comic starts out with his ship approaching Earth and making a quick pit stop over on the moon to uh, just beat the bloody crap out of Black Bolt. Who... And, and Hulk is the angriest that we've ever seen him. I think up to this point, and even Strange later makes a note that this is the strongest and angriest he's ever been, and that they've ever seen him. So, because of that, this is also him at his strongest. He's able to like withstand Black Bolt's yells, uh, and Black Bolt's yells are strong enough to blow a chunk off of the moon. And Hulk was able to survive that, and you know, just beat the living snot out of him. So he makes a threat to Manhattan or to New York and tells them that they have 24 hours to evacuate the city and to bring him the, f- the other three people responsible. Immediately met with resistance, Iron Man. Well, so the government and the Marvel heroes do their best efforts to evacuate as many people as possible out of Manhattan in the 24 hours. And they're able to do it in 23 and a half hours. What a coincidence. Um... So, after those 24 hours are up, the heroes immediately start putting a resistance to him. They start fighting him. And a big part of Hulk's plan isn't so much that he wants to kill them. He wants to the world to know who these like heroes are. And so, he does battle with, with Iron Man, who is like in a Hulkbuster suit. 
he fights with Mr. Fantastic, who pretends to be Sentry or pretends to mimic Sentry's powers because it's one of the few things that can calm down the Hulk. And he also fights Doctor Strange, who, as a last-ditch effort, takes like this potion and he ingests like the soul of a demon so that he has the power and anger of the Hulk and is able to defeat all three of those and puts him up in a gladiatorial arena, forces him to fight the same way that he was forced to fight. And before, or he, not before, but... um. And during kind of the final fight of this gladiatorial thing, where it's Reed Richards versus Tony Stark, and he makes Mr. Fantastic uh, kill Iron Man, he turns off like the control discs on them that they have that, again, he was forced to wear on, on Sakaar. And essentially, you know, doesn't actually force him to kill Tony Stark. So Tony Stark's alive, and they've... In that moment, they've hacked a bunch of the machines. And there's like a big revelation at the end of this whole gladiatorial fight revenge thing where it is revealed that it's Meek. Because uh, this whole time, Meek has been like, kill them all, kill them all, kill everybody, you know, no mercy. Even though Korg and some of his other members of his Warbound, which his Warbound includes a no name, a no name brood, LOE or LO. Uh, Heroim, Korg, and Meek. Why Why is Heroim such a weird name to say out loud? I read that name so many times. Same. It's so yeah. weird. <laughs> so all those people... Like, none of those names are really, you know, roll off the tongue. Except no name of the brood. <laughs> that's the most normal name, and that's a title. Anyways... <laughs> So everybody's kind of been, you know, yeah, hold, get your revenge, get your justice, blah, 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 all that stuff. Except Meek. Meek has been really bloodthirsty about all this. It's revealed that Meek knew that the people from, like, the Red Lo- the Red King, I think it was, or the Red Lord or something like that, back on Sakaar, had put a faulty core, uh, like a warp core or something like that, on Hulk's ship, hoping to kill him. And that's what blew up and destroyed the planet. And so Meek knew this and never revealed it because he wanted the Hulk to be angry and he wanted him to be this, you know, warrior, murderer person who was just going to, you know, he was, they call him the world breaker. And that's what he wanted him to be. He wanted him to be the world breaker. Parallel to this whole story, there's a thing going on with the Sentry. They've tried to recruit the Sentry and the Sentry has not wanted to fight or really do anything. He's schizophrenic, he's agoraphobic, he has, you know, just problems. He's afraid of turning into the void again. And eventually kind of takes... or finally steps out and goes to fight the Hulk and kind of is able to to go all out. He's able to, you know, unleash all his power and, like, feel you know, unrestrained by all of this stuff that, like, is constantly, like, holding him back per the suggestion or advice or motivational words of Tony, I am a global murderer, war criminal man, Stark. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, who tells him that, hey, sometimes you have to be a god, and the sentry takes those words to heart, and... Uh unleashes the power of the sun on Manhattan and the Hulk. 
And so what he goes out to do this, he fights him. He's able to kind of let go. And, and you know, it, it ends up being the Hulk who has to calm down the sentry, not the other way around, kind of for the first time ever. The fight leaves both of them ex- exhausted. And it's in this moment, after this big gladiatorial thing, that the, the sentry shows up. They have their big fight. And it's after this that now Banner or, you know, Hulk is back to his Banner form. And that's like when they hit him with like an orbital laser and he survives and he is locked up. And we get like a little teaser at the very end that Scar is uh, awakened, who is Hulk's son from Sakar. We don't actually like this is the first time that we see him that he's ever appeared in print, I believe. Yeah, yeah, this is his first appearance. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, although we did know that uh, Kyera, I think was her name, mm-hmm. uh, was pregnant when, when the rocket blew up. So Yeah, yeah so we had assumed that, because they, they keep saying, right, that like uh, that explosion killed his wife and his, and his unborn child. They keep saying that. They really keep, you know, <laughs> pointing that out. So, and It's almost like foreshadowing. It's Ooh. almost like setting the stage for what will come. Yeah, it is revealed <laughs> later that the the bomb. I don't know if it was the bomb specifically or just Kyra's species. But after she died, the baby was enclosed in a cocoon in a lake of fire. If that's not the most metal birth that's come <laughs> out of the Marvel comics. Um, and so, like, that's fitting for, for something related to Planet Hulk. Too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so, really good comic. There's a lot of stuff I didn't go in here about. There's some stuff with Rick Jones that happens. There's a few conversations with some of the other heroes. Spider-Man shows up. She-Hulk says a few things. There's a really kind of interesting dialogue between... Very short, but a pretty interesting dialogue between Sue Storm and the Hulk about, you know, his rage and, you know... What would he? What would she do? Like, would she stop if somebody killed her family and children? Blah blah blah. So there's a lot of stuff in here that I didn't really go into the nitty gritty about, which I just kind of did. But uh, what did you guys think? Um, I liked everything about it except for not even the art, just specifically the the faces, <laughs> the figures in the, in the art. The the paneling's good, the coloring's good, um, but the the inking and just I just I just don't like John Romita Jr. I just it it's I know I'm the like same there way. There are some there are some great epic moments. This fight with the Hulk and the Sentry is awesome, but there's this little bit of me that's like ah oh, they're they're like the these square faces that are just squished proportions just look so off and it just it just doesn't work for me. I you know yeah. It, as Wish far as the art, was, yeah. yeah. As far as the art goes, a lot of a lot of the art was saved for me by the colors and I would, I would say the inks probably. The inks are done by Klaus Jansen, which I mentioned, and if that name sounds familiar, is because he worked on the Dark Knight Frank Miller books. Mm-hmm. Yep. Klaus Jansen and John Romita Jr. are two. I would think it's safe to say controversial artists. Not in terms of like, you know, they said a racial slur in 2010 <laughs> oh, thank or goodness. whatever. <laughs> Not that I know of. Um, but more along the lines of like, they are not everyone's cup of tea and have been involved in just incredibly high profile work. Yeah. Uh, I like them 
both, I think, better than John and Aldo do. I like. I feel like I've heard you, Aldo, say that you're not a, the biggest fan of Klaus Jensen. Am I misremembering that? No, no, I'm not the biggest fan. I like the stuff he did in here. I think it helped a lot. I, I'm, I'm a bigger, I'm a bigger not fan. I'm a bigger <laughs> hater, I guess, of John Romita Jr.'s there. art. I'm not a fan of the art style. I think it looks bad. I know people love it, and I know he's such a big name in the industry, but I'm not, just never been a fan. So, like, when I saw the art style, I was like, oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Honestly, for me, the standout in this, and a lot of this stuff, was the colors. Yeah. Yeah, like, like, and- like you were mentioning, right? Like, that fight with the Sentry, where it's the Hulk, and they're just both going all out. The colors, honestly, made that scene for me. Like, there was some mm-hmm. really good fade-outs, really good, just great use of colors in that i thought you got the heat of the sun in all of this like oh my gosh the, like how much power is being released right now um some of the like the the paneling and the poses though like right when you know the sentry punches him you're the only one that can hit like this and he blasts out of you know market square or uh, um <laughs> market square arena is indiana Ugh, i'm so old madison square garden <laughs> <laughs> let's do that <clears throat> clean take so this part where the sentry hits him because you're the only one I can hit like this and he go- gets at him um, <laughs> I almost did it you can leave it all in oh my gosh <laughs> Madison right, take, Square Garden take two. <laughs> <laughs> when he goes Stark Richards all of you never forget what happens next and then uh, never forget what happens next is on your heads and he just hits the sentry in the head as hard as he can and it just levels the building it's it's awesome so it's really just the the facial proportions that really mess me up because uh, you know like anatomy and looking at the poses of everyone uh, everything looks good um you know how things are laid out like this is such a cool panel where he's like stark richards you know it's his his eyes are all small and he's kind of like you know leering at everyone and coming out of the shadows really cool and that's just one example where you know uh, the further i went in this because i originally was just oh, whatever this is just going to be what it is it's john ramita jr i'm not a fan and the more i read the more i was like everything else is on point everything else looks real good um you know i liked how how it was all laid out um but just just the facial constructions are just like just yeah yeah so i'm Here's another theory. Maybe there is something about it that we're missing that everyone else in comics really likes. Maybe because it's different from the usual? Maybe. I don't know. I, I will know. say, though, again, like my problem is similar to John's. Like the faces, I'm not a super big fan of like the art, of like the construction of like the bodies is, is probably the best way I could describe it. Because the, the paneling and the poses are knockouts back again to that fight with a sentry where he punches the sentry as he's charging at him and like i mean obviously the colors are doing a lot of work here where like you can see like that big explosion of power kind of emanating from the point of contact going out but like you can still very clearly see the hulk's fist making contact with the sentry like that is just like that pose like the the pose of that punch and like the sentry like that are being brought back yeah. yeah, like, just really well done. It's just, like, the construction of people <laughs> in his art style of just... I just don't jive with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this this book kind of... 
I, I struggle a lot with, with World War Hulk. And some of it is the art. I think as, as exciting as the art is and as engaging as it is to watch these, these epic battles, there is something about the, the stiffness of the characters and the rigidity of the faces that did kind of like in this book, I kind of noticed it more than I usually do. I still think it's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I'm more sympathetic, I think, to the uh, Ramita Jr. critics than than I maybe used to be. Boy, uh, Klaus Jansen and John Ramita Jr.'s styles are weirdly complementary. Like, they do go together very, very well. Yeah. I think. Uh, for better or for worse. Like, I guess it depends on how much you like those particular styles. But I, they are very compatible, I think. And this book really demonstrates that. I would agree. I think they are compatible. I think they, they work well together, but it just doesn't always work for me. Um, mm-hmm. But I I liked the story. I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought the moment where, you know, Rick takes a spear from Meek uh, for Bruce was a nice bookend to how Bruce saved Rick, you know? And, you know, Meek wanting... Bruce to to be the the world breaker the whole time um you know yeah I like Hulk's plot right yeah because I mean obviously a lot of people are kind of rightfully assuming that he's there for blood like not just blood right he's there to kill these four people but like right from the outset you can tell that if it was just that I think it'd be he'd be more violent, but from the very beginning, right? Like he's giving the normal people a chance at being safe, right? He's giving people time to evacuate. He's setting this arena just for these people specifically. And what I like about it isn't even that he's there to kill them, right? He's just kind of there to out them as like the you know the bad people that he perceives them to be, and you know most of those people are. <laughs> To a, to a very great extent. Right, and yeah. yeah, and part of that is like that gladiatorial thing where he doesn't actually want them to kill each other. He just wants them to know what it was like for him. And it's not even the full extent, right? Like he's just giving them a taste of what it was like for him to be on that planet. And then he has that trial or not trial. He has those testimonies from people. I thought Steven probably appreciated this part, but, you know, we do get some justice for Black Goliath who was shot through the heart and then buried in a hole <laughs> with tarp and chains. <laughs> yep. so, so, like, that gets, you know, brought up. You know, a couple people talk about, you know, their homes being destroyed. In this comic, right, where Stephen Strange takes that potion as a, you know, last-ditch effort, essentially becoming a magic Hulk type thing. And... Two really, two really interesting things happened in that, I thought, was that he gets a taste of what it's like being the Hulk. Of being full of like this power and rage and not being able to control it. Not even really being able to like direct it properly, right? Because of all the collateral damage. And so he sees like what that's like because the Hulk saves the people that he almost kills by accident. And... You know, somebody else also calls him out on that. They're like, like just a normal citizen. It's just like, hey, you know, you're trying to do this for our safety, but this dude literally drank a demon and almost killed a bunch of us. 
So, yeah, I don't know. I, I was pretty happy with that. But again, it's just, it's just like always the Hulk. So, like, at the end of the day, what happens? He, like, hulks out in a pretty stereotypical Hulk fashion and, you know, hurts his, like, friends and, um, you know, beats Meek almost dead. And as we find out later, not fully dead. But, yeah, I, I was a little surprised with the story because I thought I remembered this as just being... Hulk on a rampage on in New York with an army. Mm-hmm. But now I'm thinking that I probably didn't even read the right book. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, the the book yeah. I the book I remember, I very explicitly remember a part where the Hulk is searching for Charles Xavier, who was dead at the time. And he is like, you know, just raising a whole city and until somebody has like somebody's trying to convince him that he's dead and he's like no he's just hiding and he's breaking more stuff and it's just like how do we prove to him that he's dead and like that's what i remember very like vividly and that's not in here at all Char- it's a, a like an x-men world war hulk tie-in i don't know maybe that was gonna I be my know. guess yeah yeah boy um i have weird mixed feelings about this book do tell yeah overall (laughs) i think it is very good i do not think that this is as good as planet hulk which is one of my all-time favorite marvel comic stories that kind of gets back to what i was talking about earlier right i don't like the hulk i like planet hulk planet hulk is a book i think about planet hulk in my spare time it's it's a book that captures my imagination and my attention in a way that not many comic books do is planet hulk your roman empire oh Oh, gosh gosh. (laughs) what kind of like terrible neo-nazi right winger would that make me (laughs) i Uh, don't know (laughs) yeah some questions are better left unexplored Part of me thought it'd be funny to have a whole bunch of facts prepared in case, like, my wife tried to pull that crap on me. And then I was like, no, 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 no. That's exactly what everyone wants. So I remain, if it wasn't in Gladiator, I don't know anything about the Roman Empire. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they had aqueducts. That's about it. That's it. But, like, so Planet Hulk. I, I, I bring this up all the time. Never stop making them pay. The, the kind of repeated motif of Planet Hulk. It gets brought back a little bit in, in World War Hulk. That line just sticks with me. And I think it finally occurred to me why I like that story so much. Why it resonates with me so much. Planet Hulk is a very particular type of power fantasy. It's a power fantasy wherein righteous anger is sufficient to save the world, to solve all the problems that the world has. And righteous anger is something that I think we have all felt a lot of to varying degrees over the past couple of years for different reasons. Mm. World War Hulk complicates that message because the Hulk's righteous anger towards the Illuminati is not enough to fix the problem. For one thing, the situation is more complicated than he realizes. It is a little bit more nuanced. The, like, the, the Illuminati folks are certainly in the moral wrong for doing what they did. They were not responsible for the destruction of that planet. They were not responsible for the death of Hulk's wife and child. That was not their fault, but he's blaming them for that. Um, 
and ultimately his his anger is kind of his undoing in this story. And so I think that's a, a necessary message because for most of us, the problems that we find ourselves in, the injustices that we wind up facing, cannot be conquered by pure anger. The problem is that dilutes the power fantasy, and I don't want the power fantasy diluted. So part of the reason that my feelings towards this book are so complicated is because in a way, I think it makes Planet Hulk a little worse or maybe a little less satisfying. I don't know, because this happening afterwards, I think, is separate enough where he still is the hero at the end of Planet Hulk. He's, you know, I like that, you know, it's it's a revolution. It's the underdog, you know. I, th- I think that, you know, Americans can quickly get behind that kind of a story. You know, we feel like, or felt like that in our, in our infancy, right? You know, and uh, he was fighting the man on Sakaar. But I... I don't know if this takes away from that. Like, it's a bummer that he didn't check. Hey, was that your bomb? It was? Okay, now I'm going to kill you. But that's not the Hulk. Um, I would have been okay if he came, beat up Black Bolt, found out that it wasn't the bomb, said, okay, and then left. <laughs> like, you know, we, we include the Black Bolt beating as a, uh, you know, precursor to whatever happens, you know, good or bad. But I, I don't know. They're separate enough in my mind that one doesn't really like dilute the other i guess yeah but when we talk about the nuance on here right it's also like looking at the big picture which is that it was his ship that exploded like if we look at this like knowing knowing what the hulk knows right or thinks he knows it's that his ship exploded the ship that he was exiled in against his will with no warning or conversation prior to it and he goes back and everybody, I mean, obviously he's coming back with like a vengeance and everybody's trying to talk him out of it. And the people, obviously the people that he's talking to are the people he's there to, you know, get his revenge on. Those are also the same people who like, maybe would not say the most truthful thing to get out of a Hulk smashing. So like, I don't blame him for, I mean, obviously you do blame him, but like, there's like like I think part of it based on what he knows is justified to an extent. And again, he wasn't there to destroy Earth. He was there for like a very specific lesson and that was directed at four people specifically, not necessarily like the whole world. Right. So like for me that's kind of what still makes it I don't know that it I, I don't think it takes away from Planet Hulk. And in a sense, for me, it still makes me feel like he is, to a, to a sense, the hero. He's definitely the protagonist, I guess. Um, yeah. That's not... I mean, the, the book's named after him. There's no way he's not the protagonist. But, but yeah, so, like, I don't, I don't feel like that's what makes him fully the bad guy or necessarily muddies him up morally. It's definitely unfortunate, right, when we find out the truth and all that stuff. But I, I think the Hulk at least for me, comes out almost the same way he came in in this, in this story. Yeah. Yeah, no, I do think that um, at the very least, Planet Hulk holds up uh, despite what I think is a little bit of the muddying of the water from World War Hulk. And I think World War Hulk is itself still a plenty good 
story. And I just find it less satisfying than mm-hmm. the pure power fantasy of Planet Hulk. The the this opportunity for, you know, the the rage that the Hulk feels all the time to have an outlet that is sufficiently evil to warrant that attention yeah. and for it to ultimately like pan out into something good. Like I, I, I love that story and I just feel like World War Hulk brings the the just that high back down to a more grounded level that is ultimately less satisfying despite the fact that it's still pretty good. Yeah. I think the thing that is frustrating for me is and both books do this to to a certain extent where I mean granted all event comics do this where all event comics tend to have this, you know, status quo breaking resolution that like you know the next month when we go back to our regular comics it does get reset back to you know the norm and that happens you know here we obviously we don't see it here right because the way it ends it makes you feel like oh cool you know everybody kind of paid for their you know being being not good bros to the hulk thing whatever blah 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 right everybody gets called out everybody gets a little humbled we know they're all going to go back to their same regular shenanigans afterwards. And there's something about that that's just going to like, oh, right. Like, none of this, none of this really matters, does it? Which is disappointing. And Planet Hulk also had that, but not the same, right? Because when Planet Hulk goes back to the status quo, the status quo is life sucks for the Hulk. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it, it did it in a way that I think kind of, um, goes against like what his struggle was that like, he finally found peace semblance he found his people right and so so to reset him back to the status quo is like that's painful and that i think that was done very intentionally yeah. and i mean obviously in a way to lead over to this too but the fact that you know knowing this goes back to the status quo is like oh right well you know none of this matters dr strange goes back to being the sorcerer supreme and nothing really changes about him you know, Tony Stark is still Tony Stark and the worst. Yeah. And Mr. Fantastic is still the guy who calls himself Mr. Fantastic when his brother-in-law has to call himself the thing. So <laughs> not brother-in-law, best friend. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Best break friend. That one. Sorry. No, don't you're right though. Like <laughs> kind of like being that guy. Uh, um, I would be, I would be concerned if you were not that guy. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, um, the interesting thing, though, is that this doesn't lead back to just the status quo. Uh, the Hulk is out of Marvel Comics for a while. He's out of the picture. Uh, this is when the Red Hulk comes in, and he becomes the the star of the the Hulk comic for a while. Mm-hmm. Although the actual numbered Incredible Hulk story from here uh, turns into the Incredible Hercules, and that's where that run starts. Mm, interesting. Uh, okay. It's a tie-in that I don't think we got at all really here but hercules winds up taking the hulk's side at some point and as a result has to go on the lamb with amadeus cho it's a whole thing um but yeah so the status quo does change for a little bit in a, in a way that like kind of reminiscent of stories like civil war where uh say what you want about the event and i often do but the status quo it leaves behind is just different enough from the main the, the what we think of as the classic Marvel 
universe style that the new stories have some interesting room to play in. Yeah. And I think World War Hulk does some of that a little bit, but a lot of it is still kind of just more of the same of what we got in in Civil War. It's just now it's different heroes who are uh, considered fugitives. Mm-hmm. Still, all, I think, pretty compelling, pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. As frustrating as, as frustrating as this story is for me, I do think I have to come down on the side of it being a, a positive. Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, probably not the greatest. Definitely, definitely not as high as Planet Hulk. But, I mean, I had a blast with it. I was, a, I was actually a little disappointed. It was only five issues. <laughs> not, not that it needed more. Like, you know, oftentimes I'll talk about how, you know, an extra issue here or there, you know, would help flush out or help. You know the story pacing, or whatever. No, this didn't need more issues. I just would have liked it really more. <laughs> it just was a good time. Yeah, and I didn't want it to end. And I was, I was blazing through these books, my dude. I was just like, I need to know. Like, I gotta keep reading. I, I got, I want to know what's gonna happen. And yeah, it's a good that, stuff. that that does segue into what what I was gonna summarize because. Um, I, I read the After Smash uh, comic, and then for to, to give more context to the World War Hulk Warbound issues that we read, are we ready to talk about those? I think we are. <clears throat> I think so. Because yeah. I, felt, I, I felt the same where I was like, I, I like how this feels and how, um, you know, we're getting kind of this just all outrage, you know, and one thing I didn't like about World War Hulk is that Tony Stark was the, the, the one to stop it, you know, using satellites or, as we call in the biz, cheating, because um, Hulk <laughs> used his fists like a real hero. No. Um, I, I, read, <laughs> I read After Smash because I was like, okay, what happens between, because where World War Hulk Warbound picks up, um, the Warbound are on the run from S.H.I.E.L.D. and they escaped during kind of the cleanup but it became clear that they weren't the bad guys and so we pick up with them literally in the, in the sewers of New York and, and the, the smallest thing is that you know, they they protect some S.H.I.E.L.D. agents from getting eaten by alligators. And, and like, that's not really the weird part about this story. It's just kind of a given, oh, yeah, there's alligators in the sewers. And, like, <laughs> I loved that. Because <laughs> part of me and my, like, you know, the persistent little kid brain that you keep until you learn the real facts still believes that, you know, that... <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Someone flushed a little uh, pet at some point, and now there are big old huge alligators under the sewers. I don't know if it's because of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fandom or whatever, but what happens is the Warbound are escaping from uh, Shield. They are being um, uh, assisted by and almost put under arrest by Kate Waynesboro and Shield agent who's um, a spy, as it turns out, a uh, super spy. And the back issues we get in these issues are where she's talking to Meek and learning more about the Warbound, so we get to see more of their character, and it's great. Well, in the middle of her trying to arrest them and also keep them from dying, because she kind of gets that they're not 
the bad guys, but they still need to be, you know, taken in. Um, they are teleported away to uh, the middle of nowhere, and it turns out the leader, one of the Hulk's enemies, has taken them so that he can use the power of um, Hiromo. Is that uh, Hiroim? Sorry, Hiroim. Um, and make a huge gamma bulb. He can make gamma world, basically, is what he calls it. So this this bubble is keeping everyone out. It's giving everyone um, gamma radiation. Some people uh, end up being merged together as a big blob of, blob of people, and it's very gross. And um, the warbound prove themselves as the good guys as they protect civilians from these mutated bugs that have popped up because of Gamma World. Eloi is able to spear the leader, which makes him stronger temporarily, and then um, Hiroim gets also, like, uses his power to, to get bigger, and they uh, fight each other off, but then that um, is, it turns out to be a sacrifice, and then Dr. Waynesboro, excuse me, I was calling her just Kate earlier. Dr. Waynesboro has absorbed um, the old power, which it's... <laughs> for the first couple of times I read that, because it had been a while since I'd read about Hero Aim, um, in uh, World War Hulk, he was like, the old power is like, oh, he has new powers now? This is the old power? No. <laughs> That's what it's called. <laughs> so... Uh, stupid humans, don't you know? Sometimes a monster can come in pretty handy. Um, you know, despite everything, they're still protecting these people who are, you know, um, mad that the uh, the leader has come in. But they're, you know, he was just a man. Old uh, Hiroim, the old strong, wasn't a god. He was just a man who stayed true to his oath and to keep this dome standing and save your lives. He save your lives. He gave up his. He was just a monster like all of you and stupid humans. Yeah. Um, I, I liked this. Um, it kind of fleshed out these characters more, and you see that, oh, wait, they're, they weren't just, you know, Hulk's followers. They are each individual characters with, you know, their own unique motivations and why they're staying loyal to the Hulk and how they're keeping and making those kind of oaths after the fact. That's pretty much it. Um, we can get into more specifics. What did you guys think of this follow-up to World War Hulk? Did we cover the creative team? I'm, yeah, scrolling back right now. This was Greg Pak again, uh, writing it. Um, Leonard Kirk on pencils. Gary Martin, inker. Val Staples was a colorist. And Joe Caramagna is the letterer we've seen before. Quite a bit. Is um, Hiroim the bisexual icon we didn't know we needed? Kind of? I'm glad you said that. That's like one of the first things I thought of. Like the whole like almost betrothal with Korg is weirdly super moving mm-hmm. and surprisingly like progressive for when did this come out? 2007? 2007. Oh, actually this, the last issue was published June of 2008, but still, still, um, I forgot that I was supposed to read the whole thing and do my summary in a New Zealand accent because of Cork. His depiction in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe has overwritten anything in the comics. So we've got to do the whole thing again, gents. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> nope. Nope. Sounds like you <laughs> You know, sorry, super, super quick aside on that is that 
man listen I, I i know that everybody like the the new hotness is to hate on the marvel stuff and the marvelification of whatever blah 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 listen it i was on the problem ba- yeah listen i was on that bandwagon <laughs> before it was a movement all right i hated star lord from the first time he got turned into movie star lord anyways i don't i mean apart from that you know apart from like that stuff affecting each other Man, I did not. I was super bummed out when I saw that. When I saw Scar show up in the MCU, I was just like, "Oh, dumb, really?" <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh. It was. Yeah. it was dumb. <laughs> I was. Uh, yeah, because they kind of half-heartedly put him in there too. Kind of did, yeah. Taika Waititi did a lot for Marvel Cinematic Universe, as much as I think. I don't know. The Thor movies have grown on me. Uh, the first two Thor movies in particular have grown on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thor Ragnarok, I think, was needed. I may never forgive Taika Waititi for completely ruining our chances of ever getting a big screen adaptation of Planet Hulk. It's <laughs> never going to happen. Yeah, It's never going to happen. Huh. You cannot tell the story of Hulk and the Warbound with... I'm crude, this is me. You can't... Like, the, the, the Taika Waititi voiced Korg, you can't do it. Yeah, no, I agree. I can't do it. It's so frustrating. And I didn't mind until they said something about, like, yeah, we're going to try and fit, you know, the Planet Hulk story because they can't. I mean, they can. They're just they just don't want to spend the money to, like, make the uh, the Hulk standalone movies. But because of that, they're like, yeah, we're just going to add the Planet Hulk movie, you know, throughout all all of these other movies. And I was like, don't. Don't do that. That's not what anybody wants. Everybody wants the standalone Planet Hulk movie. And if you're gonna, you know, you're just gonna, if you're gonna half ass it, just don't. <laughs> don't. <laughs> just no asset. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, to take the conversation back to this book, <laughs> there is an earnestness to the Warbound that make them. That makes them interesting characters in spite of the fact that they're only barely characters for most of the time that we've known them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's a little overwrought at times. I, I think this book goes a little bit too hard on that in, in some ways. Uh, but then you get to the scene where Korg is like, I really would have liked to make a rocky baby with you, Heroim. <laughs> and Heroim's like, hey, maybe we can do that sometime. And it like, it's weird. And it's alien. And it's a little off-putting, and it's incredibly sweet, and it's surprisingly emotional. Yeah. Like it, it worked. We do a Predator high five in the lava, and a baby comes out. <laughs> I'm sorry, no. it's just like because no. they they did that in they did that in Love and Thunder. <laughs> it, it takes the emotional gravitas of this scene. <laughs> it just kind of. It works it so much better. It's it's like a nice like touching moment in the comics, and in the in the movie it was like this is hilarious. Oh, look at two mm-hmm. rock dads, and it wasn't <laughs> taken like this. I this I oath to you that we will make a rock child. You know, like that was like a aw, you know. Hmm. Ah oh, man, just what a what a what an 
odd set of things to happen in this book. That bit with with Korg and Heroim landed so much better than the almost kiss between Heroim and the, and the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. It's like, what the heck was that? You were dating Bruce Banner not that long ago. <laughs> well, also, that has, like, history behind it. Like, and and the kiss is like, you've known this. I mean, she gave you a pep talk, like, an hour ago, and now you're like, all right, listen, you got somebody waiting for you to make rock babies, and that's all it takes. Hero, I want you to be the, the, the bisexual icon we're missing, but you're pretty easy, bro. <laughs> <laughs> At least play hard to get. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> this story feels like it's a little bit trying to make fetch happen. Like, <laughs> I hate it. What? What? No. But, but yeah, like honestly, yeah, the Warbound, they're not going to be a big thing in Marvel Comics going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. You know, being from the future, I can tell you that's pretty accurate. <laughs> right. And in the moment, we all kind of knew. It's like nobody really wants to read more of these characters. Doesn't mean that it, it couldn't happen someday. But this isn't the story that's going to do it. I feel like... This reminds me more than anything of... We haven't read for the podcast uh, the Matt Fraction, David Aha, Iron Fist stories. Which predated this by just a couple years. Um, But those stories introduce this whole other ecosystem of martial artists... Uh, for Iron Fist, there are seven capital cities of heaven, and each of them has its own fighting champion, of which Iron Fist is the one champion, but there's also Fat Cobra, uh, the, the, uh, what is it, Tiger's Beautiful Bride, just a bunch of different kind of, like, vaguely martial artsy sounding names, and really interesting characters that everybody's like, yeah, let's put them in their own miniseries and, and make them big going concerns. And they just weren't because they don't really work yet outside of the context of the story in which they were introduced. And I think that's the problem with the Warbound. I think they are good characters to have kicking around the Marvel Universe. But as of this story, they do not yet have the staying power. They Anything to really anchor them to the Marvel Universe outside of Planet Hulk, World War Hulk. Like, there's just nothing for them really to grab onto. And this book, unfortunately, doesn't really give it to them because it's too caught up in them being Hulk side characters. They fight the leader for crying out. Mm -hmm. They fight the American military, just like the Hulk does. I forgot that the leader was a character at all until this book. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I didn't because just like right before I read this, I got beaten by the leader in Marvel Snap, uh, which is doing a World War Hulk event in January. Kyra is going to be a card. Oh, she a good card? Yeah. I think so. I think so. She hoses Killmonger by keeping your one cost cards from getting destroyed. Cool. Hmm. Yeah, there needed to be a, a something to fight Killmonger, I guess. Anyway. See, I use him in my destroyer deck to kill those one cost cards that come back stronger but anyway anyway yeah it's still still worth it every now and again to run killmonger i think uh, even though the meta's kind of moved on anyway uh, (laughs) i play way too much marvel snap still you guys uh 
It's a problem. My children miss me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Daddy's still trying to get that Nico Minoru card. That's that's what it is here. I just found out that card existed, so now I'm in for a little bit longer. <laughs> uh, it's a good card too. Anyway, so I don't know that I have a whole lot. I guess we could talk about the leader a little bit. Um, I actually kind of like the way the leader gets portrayed in this. He uh, he outsmarts the heroes regularly. Every time they think they've got one up on him, he he proves that he was kind of planning on that, and they struggle a bit as a result. They are you know fighters first. They're not schemers or planners. They're you know their powers are mostly all about them fighting. Um, you know, Korg is made of rocks. <laughs> like his whole thing is punching and fighting, and and you know that's kind of what brought them together was fighting in an arena. You know, and so uh, I like that. You know, the the villain can outsmart them, and they don't go aha, and they they've had a secret plan the whole time, and you know that's that's refreshing when usually there's some kind of secret thing that the heroes are holding on to to really outsmart the the bad guy. So sometimes, though, yeah, punch wins. Yeah. And there's also a little bit of, like, the heroes don't outsmart the villain. The villain kind of outsmarts himself because he doesn't count on empathy. He doesn't count on teamwork. He doesn't count on cooperation. The sort of classic villain downfall, uh, I think, works really well in this sort of story and works really well for a character like the leader. So, yeah, um, really good pairing of, of heroes and villains in this story. Uh, again, very unavoidably links these characters to the Hulk and to the Hulk's world in a way that I don't think ultimately serves them in the long run, but for the short term, for this story, you know, it's good. This was a perfectly serviceable story. Yeah, really, like, that's all it had to be. Mm -hmm. But I think at the end of the day, like, as I, I don't know if we're, like, quite ready to get onto the ranking, but... I, I don't think this is essential reading the way that Planet Hulk is, or even World War Hulk. Mm -hmm. Or tie-ins from other events, you know, King where King. Right. Mm -hmm. it really enriches it. This is not a bad story by any means, but is it, do you have to rush out and read it? No. If you get around mm -hmm. to it sometime, fine. Your time is not going to be wasted. Which which is a shame, because there's really, like, I, I liked it. It was good. But, yeah, yeah. as far as you know, this, the Spider-Man tie-ins for Civil War is kind of my go-to of this This is really good and should have been part of the main event, but wasn't. Oh, well. Um, it's not going to be like that every time, as it turns out. No, it actually frequently won't be like that. It's a big problem with yeah. uh, these sorts of tie-in stories is that frequently they are a bit of a time waster. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, this one at least dodges that. Yeah, I think the best thing about this book is just that, like, if you were curious about, you know, what happened to them, because their ship gets blown up towards the end of World War Hulk, if you were curious about, you know, hey, what are they up to? There you go. Yeah. Getting stabbed. That's what they're up to. <laughs> of the Warbound, Hero might be the least interesting. If I remember correctly, in Planet Hulk, he's silent for much of the book. I think so, yeah. That sounds right, yeah. Yeah, we just don't learn that much about the character, and as a result, he's just not very interesting. 
And this book works really, really hard to try to make him interesting. And it gets there just in time to kill him off. Which yeah. might be why I, 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 my final impression is there's not room in, for these characters in the Marvel Universe because it took so much work to make them interesting and then you kill them. It makes me sad. And that, that said, you know, there's, these characters are always going to be kicking around. You can always bring Hero in, in for a crowd shot. Yes, I know he died. You can bring him back. That's a thing. Uh, but you can always have uh, Eloise show up when you need to have sword fight off a Shi'ar invasion or something, uh, you should never have uh, Korg or Meek again because the Marvel Cinematic Universe ruined them and they are dead. <laughs> and a That's... brood by itself is like that looks off. What's that brood doing there? <laughs> like, no, no, this is this is one of the good ones. You can't do that. And I think Meek is actually on the sap in the Savage Lands. I think it's what I read that he's hanging out there somewhere. Well, that might not actually be a bad spot for him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll have to try to check out different stories one of these days. Have we read um, anything from the Savage Land stuff? Uh, we've read Shen and the She Devil. Right. Shen and the She Devil, but that's that was like out of uh, continuity. Out of continuity. Yeah. I don't think we've read anything like in continuity. Six one six Savage Land. Yeah. What's his name? Kazar. We should read some Kazar stuff. Here's the thing about Kazar. He sucks. I don't like the way you said that name. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't. I've noted that you didn't defend the character. You just defended the pronunciation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, can I? Can I get both of those pronunciations from both of you again? Kazar. Kazar. There is a hyphen, so <laughs> I'm, I'm inclined to think that Stephen might have the correct correct pronunciation. Um, however, Aldo sounds better and also sounds like uh, a uh, old, uh, you know, Napster type program. Kazam? Nope. Kazaa. <laughs> so Play we're going to go with that one. We're going to go with Kazar. Uh, <laughs> Did you say Kazar? <laughs> yeah, I think I said Kazar. We're, we're saying it so much now. I've <laughs> I don't know anymore. Man, you- you ever say a word so often that it stop, it loses all meaning? That's what happens to me when I say Kazar. <laughs> Does anyone else have any comments about Warbound? I, I liked it, but again, it's not essential reading. It's not someone you'd slap into, you know, a comic you'd slap into someone's hand saying like, ah, if you want some comics, this is this is comics. But it is it is good, so I don't know. Yeah, it's fine. I yeah. liked it. It's a good way to spend an afternoon. Mm-hmm. I don't regret my time reading it. These are the weakest movie poster quotes I've ever heard, y'all. But anyway. <laughs> to be fair, that's something I can say about this book and not like a significant portion of our list. <laughs> that, is, that is true. That is true. Okay, so turning our attention to the list, we currently have uh, 262 stories on the list. Uh, Hulk is pretty like actually pretty well represented planet hulk is currently number eight on our list uh in the top 10 one of the the just all timers of marvel comics based on what we've read so far uh hulk is also very near the bottom number 255 is ultimate wolverine versus hulk just just a garbage comic about garbage people world war hulk i struggle with because as good as it is it's not an all-timer, 
I don't even think that it's as good as stories like, you know, King and Black 1 through 5 might actually be a good comparison for it. Uh, where King and Black had the difficult task of following up uh, Absolute Carnage, a book that just surprised the heck out of me and with which I had this sort of like emotional connection. And King and Black has notes of the thing that I really liked, but isn't ultimately able to, to recapture it and thus isn't as good. Right? I feel like that's kind of where I am with World War Hulk, but I don't think it's as good even as King and Black. So I'm link- I, I think King and Black might be my ceiling, but I don't know. What do you guys think? I cannot argue against that. I'd like to, but <clears throat> where, I'm waiting for where the list did to we load. put King and Black? <laughs> King and Black is still pretty high like on the list. Number, what? Yeah, that's which also bad. feels really high, but it doesn't. You don't have to go too much lower than that. Like, I think this is probably better than Star Wars Legacy, which we have at number 48. Uh, like, that's my hard, that's probably my my floor. I, I'm kind of struggling with some of the books in there. I probably like it better than the J. Jonah Jameson life story. But is it actually better? I'm not positive, right? So anyway, that's the area I'm looking yeah, at. Yeah, I would put this above Forget Me Not, but man, Beta Ray Bill does say Scuttlebutt a couple times. Oh gosh. oh gosh. I just recently found out that there's a Beta Ray Bill miniseries where Scuttlebutt turns into a woman. What? Yeah, we might have to read that sometime. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of struggling. I want to put it above, like, like at 42, like right below Orphans of X. Because, like, I actually quite liked orphans of x i did too and it had some really good i mean again kind of the i mean this is just nothing but big fights right and orphans of x a big part of the story is hey maybe we don't need to do a big fight so i don't know bisexual icon we need versus the bisexual icon we have the bisexual icon we have is dokken (laughs) yeah he's not making any rock babies anytime soon no, he's he's kind of the problematic, promiscuous bisexual character, unfortunately. Yeah, not as much here, but yeah. <laughs> also has a card in Marvel Snap, but I can't ever really figure out what the big deal is with him. Anyway, um, <laughs> Any, anyways, I'm, like, that's where I'm hovering around. It's like forty-two, so not like not too much lower than King of Black, but. Weirdly, 42 feels high for me until I actually look at what's there. And then I'm like, no, I actually think that might be right. I I think I'd still put it above Black Bolt Hard Time. That's the first half. That's the good half. I, what, I, 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 I said it, Aldo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You said what you said. I'm going to side with Steven on this one. What number is Hard Time? Quel surprise. <laughs> uh, hard Time is 40. Yeah. I might put this... Oh, he's wavering, Aldo. Oh, I'm, I'm on the edge I'm, of my I'm, seat. I'm really, I'm really torn as to whether I put this above or below Orphans of X. Like, where do I lean? And I'm not positive which one I think is, is actually better. At the end of the day, I think as much as I like Orphans of X, I like the dust-up more 
I would put this above Orphans of X, but it's really close. Okay, now the question is above Black Bolt? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like I I will give a little bit, but not that much. Okay, I can live with that compromise. <sighs> so, the new 41 then, I guess. No, Black Bolt Hard Time makes me like Absorbing Man. Like really be interested in Absorbing Man as a character in a way that I don't think I had ever been before. And that is crazy. So I had a bigger task to, uh, to fulfill and it did it. So that's to me way more impressive. And here Hulk go mash. Uh, I know we didn't say it, but I did like the part where Stephen strange drank a demon and he was like strange smash. <laughs> oh, I hated that. <laughs> <laughs> Unsurprising, I don't like fun. <laughs> he's a, he's a, you know, you know why it's funny to me though, because I imagined, uh, you know, Pumpernickel saying it. <laughs> oh gosh, jeez. <laughs> you talking about Benadryl Cabbage Patch? Bellagio Bandersnatch. Oh gosh. Okay, we gotta move on from this. Warbound after Smash. It goes lower, right? Yeah, you know what my ceiling is? I don't know where it is, but my ceiling for this is the Kingpin tie-in. I think the Kingpin tie-in is... Uh, I think it's pretty high. I think uh, it's higher. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my uh, Wait, where where is Spider-Man Civil War? That's 97. The That's War my Home, ceiling. Civil War, the War and Home. Yeah, it is a better tie-in. It is a better tie-in. Unfortunately, it's not as good as you remember. Right. It has good moments, but it's not as good as you remember. Yeah. I, I'm i looking at that next section. I think uh, it goes above Children's Crusade at 107, but I know that um, Aldo likes the Children's Crusade. But that's that's where I would put it, because I, I like it, but I really like Thor's Battle World more. And I'll, I'll, you know all the other ones between ninety seven and one hundred seven, so that's that's where I'm at in the good not great section. Yeah, but the Thor's Battle World, I rem- that that one wasn't. No, 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 that was the good one. That was the good. That one. was yeah. the good one. Yeah. Here's the thing: we've also got Mary Jane and Black Cat right there. I think I might like that one better. <laughs> yep. That's that's why I put it down below that. Hmm. But. You know, below that, like below at 111, I think, because if we're comparing it to the tie-ins, right, which I think it's fair to compare it to the yes. tie-ins, uh-huh. yes, Original Sin, Thor and Loki is better. Yeah, that one was actually kind of good. Yeah, and it actually brought in like a significant character that has stayed around and had some sort of impact on the, at least that corner Got of the Marvel world. nerfed Marvel Snap and hasn't been the same since. Jeez. <laughs> I should get back into Marvel Snap. They nerfed Angela so hard. Uh, she used to be so good. It makes me anyway. sad. Anyway. 111? I think I agree. I like Thor and Loki the Tenth Realm just a smidge better. Same. Again, not a bad book, just not impressive. And I mean, you know, a couple years ago, putting it at 111 would have been a bad call, but like, we're at 200, almost 70 books. This yep. is right in the middle. Right above the middle, actually. Yep. Uh, it's, it's acceptable reading material. This is a, this is like a good bathroom read. You know, you're not doing anything better. 
<laughs> gotta pass the time somehow. Yeah, you know, it's like a post post Thanksgiving birthday uh Thanksgiving. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh god. This is getting needlessly graphic. I couldn't even get those words out in the right order. Much uh, like a post Thanksgiving see- bathroom break. There you since go. We're gonna- Woo! Brought it back. <laughs> Speaking of needlessly graphic, so our next episode is probably going up on Christmas Day. <laughs> and we thought, what better way to commemorate the, the birth of Jesus Christ than to read some comics about Wolverine? You know, because of all the similarities between them. Yes. La 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 la. On the 12th day of Wolverine, must a true love gift to be. Guys, guys, you're working too hard. <laughs> Snicked the halls. Oh my gosh. Oh, it was right oh, there, wasn't it? Dang gosh. It. Anyway. If it was a Wolverine, it would have bit me. <laughs> We're going to read a, a pair of stories uh, that go together. Uh, recent-ish. I say recent-ish, but then I just looked at the date. Death of Wolverine by uh, Charles Soule was in 2014, almost 10 years ago. And we're going to follow that up with Return of Wolverine, also by Charles Soule. But that one was from 2018. He was dead for four years? I feel like if you had asked me when Wolverine died, I probably would have told you 2020. Yeah, it seems like it happened a lot sooner, but there was like still Old Man Logan floating around? Or am I just, there were, uh, there were those issues going around? I don't know. Continuity is weird, and um, you'd need like a Doc Brown type blackboard to explain it all. Continuity is weird. Time is weird. The Orphans of X book that we were just talking about, that was right in the middle of that. <laughs> yeah, it was. Boy, we are getting older. I hate it. it. Makes me sad. Make it stop. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so those are the books that we're going to read. Boy, uh, what a weird choice for Christmas. So yeah, <laughs> if you are fighting with your family and and just can't deal anymore, uh, come listen to your pals of the Superhuman Registration Podcast, where this is what we're doing on our holiday. <laughs> Someone's halls are about to get decked. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> I forget where I stole that from, but it's definitely stolen from something. Wolverine in a Santa Claus hat. Wolverine in a Santa Claus hat. I'm the best at what I do, and what I do is very naughty. Very naughty. Jeez, that sounds like a Wolverine porno. <laughs> this, this Christmas, you won't hear a ho, 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 but you will hear a snicked, bub. <laughs> <laughs>